Hi, Paul Scanlon here. Thanks for taking the time to click on my podcast. I want to spend time focusing on my primary passions of leadership, personal development, communication, growing big people, and I hope that these podcasts really help and add value to your life and to your journey. Thanks for tuning in. Um, Well, this morning's message that I'm going to do with you is what I call a life stage message. A life stage message is a message that you speak from the stage of life you are at. And this is important because you are not the same person through your life. All of us go through different stages physically, hormonally, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, circumstantially, responsibility-wise. We go through different stages Generally, the church has not been good at understanding this, nor speaking to it. I was with a pastor recently in the States that was very stressed that the midlife people in the church were not attending church as regularly as they used to. And me, as I'm 55 years of age now, me as a midlife person, he was saying to me, well, you know, what we're doing is we're getting a new drive on in the church to get them back into church. I said, well, he said, what do you think? I said, I think that's a bad idea. I said, I think you need to understand what stage of life they are at and you need to let them tell you why they are attending less. They have got something to teach and all these pastors around me are all in their 30s. I said, one day you will all be midlife and you will, you will be interested at that stage of your life in different things. You'll have had a life of responsibility and living by the clock and all the rest of it and you'll come a time in your life when you want to chill a little bit more when you don't want to be as regimented in your life people will call you less committed and you're going to have to deal with that until the church understands and we understand we are all in this room representing different life stages you are a different person at different stages of your life if we don't talk to people about that especially men you will finish up getting condemned or fearful or, or, or full of guilt because you're simply just not understood And we in the church have had a one-size-fits-all mentality very often towards everyone that comes. And as a pastor, and now been in ministry over 30 years in the same church, I have gone through different stages of life. And so I thought, I can't ignore my stages as if that's just me, because everybody else must be going through them too. And so I wanted this morning, and again tonight actually, to speak to you from really what are life stage messages. In fact, God told Uh, Moses in Numbers 33, when they left Egypt to go to uh, Canaan, he said, record the journey by stages. Because every journey has stages and every stage has a lesson. And every lesson learned in that stage helps you and strengthens you for the next stage. It's like a video game where you, where you grab stuff that gives you more immunity to the bodies at the next level. Life is like that. And if we do not journal the stages, our life becomes a blur. And we find ourselves in a later stage of life completely unable to cope with what's going on inside us because we paid no attention to the stages of the journey. God has scheduled your life to be lived 
in stages and for us to understand and interpret them and to start doing that as soon as we can and the older you become the more I think aware of this you become and the more concerned you become for those that are going through what you have been through to talk about it and to try and help them understand it um David said in Psalm 37 verse 25 I was young and now I'm old and I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. You know, the older you are, the more weight the phrase never seen before has. For a 20-year-old to say, I've never seen before, I think, well, that's cool, but come and tell me that when you're 70. For a 70-year-old to say, let me tell you something that I've never seen. Let me tell you something that you can rely on, you can go to the bank with. For someone that's lived decades to say that to you as a younger person carries much more weight than a younger person saying it, which still may be true in their experience. But David says, I'm saying as an older man at the back end of my life, I have never, I have never seen, and David had seen some stuff. I have never seen the righteous. And, and David journaled his life. We got the whole book of Psalms for a start. I have never seen the righteous forsaken. You know, the climber, the climber that is higher up the mountain than the one stage message. I am 55. Every younger person in here, particularly if you are a decade or two back on me, listen up. Because I am where you're heading. Generally, generically, principally, I am where you're heading. If you're older than 55 in here, then you should be the biggest ameners in the room today. Or if you didn't learn what I'm going to teach, it's still not too late. I'll tell you what I'm going to teach in a moment after I've asked a few more questions. How many grandparents are in the house today? Can I see your hands? How many granddads? In fact, would you all stand? Would all our granddads stand? I stand with you. Yes. Yay. Wow. Yes. Just remain standing a moment. Stay standing. Okay. Um, who has got the most grandchildren? Uh, how many? Thank you for starting the auction. Nine. Anybody got more than nine grandchildren? Ten. Ooh, any advance on ten? You, you can count the ones that are on the way, okay? So we can just... How many? Eleven. Can you prove it? <laughs> well, I haven't mentioned a prize, so I suppose it's probably honest. It's not in it for the reward, you know. Anybody can beat 11? 13. Oh. Oh. See? See? See how he just waited? Let all these, let all these junior league people... Just say what they want to say. 13. I appreciate, sir, you're styling, just waiting for that moment. You didn't shout 13 at first. You just thought, I'll just let it roll a little bit. Anybody can beat 13. Please tell me there's nobody got more than 13. Okay, we've got a hand over here. How many? Okay, still points for the way you did it, but I'm over you now. <laughs> 14. Wow. 
14. Well, I got seven. I need to talk to you about where I'm going then because you, <laughs> seven can be interesting. Anybody can beat 14. Wow. Sir, we like to celebrate and salute you today. In fact, we should give you some kind of uh, medication probably. <laughs> Let's congratulate this granddad on 14. Yay. Wow. Peter, they're not your kids because think of the family allowance and stuff. You could have been rich. <laughs> you all may be seated. Who is the oldest grandfather in here? Do we have any very old grandparents in here? Anybody in the 80s? Any granddads here in the 80s? Probably a little bit. Probably excels a little bit too much for that, maybe. <laughs> any 70-year-old? 70s? How old, sir? 72. Any granddads more than 72? 75? 75? Anybody beyond 75? How many? 82. We just did the 80s a minute ago. (laughs) 82-year-old granddad. On your head. Eighty-two-year-old grand. Let's hear it for him. Eighty-two. Wow. Well, my grandchildren are age nine through to I think seven months now, and uh, grandparenting I think is better than parenting. All grandparents tell me that because you skip all that responsibility stuff, you spoil them, you wind them up. I have a saying with my grandchildren, when they come to my house, what happens at Papa's house stays at Papa's house. (laughs) Don't tell your parents that we ate stuff you shouldn't and we, you know, we we, we did things we shouldn't and we we, we played with, you know, axes and saws and did, (laughs) which is what I grew up doing and many of you did. All this like video stuff and you, you were outdoors like chopping something down that didn't belong to you. Grandkids are like God. They believe that what they want is the most important thing in the world. They believe there's no agenda other than their agenda. They have no concept of inconvenience, of timing. They expect you to drop everything the moment they appear. Every granddad said? There's a bit weak. There's no grandkids here. Okay, you can be open. There's no grandmothers here. I've come to believe that grandchildren are God's gift to us in midlife to teach us to play. Grandchildren are a gift to us in midlife to teach us, to remind us to play. And I want you men to listen carefully today. Those that are lower down the mountain, listen to me. Those that are further up and missed it, it's not too late. Those that are further up and got it, help me. To help these younger men in here that are so driven by career and attainment and making it to get this earlier than I got it. And particularly if you're a pastor, if you're in ministry, for whom play is perhaps a foreign concept, 
Because we are often very intense, very serious, dealing with all these huge issues of the kingdom of God. And even in ministry, you have to learn that sometimes God didn't join you to the fourth person of the Trinity. Sometimes you've got to put Jesus down. He can walk all by himself. And when you go to bed, he does some of his finest stuff. And it takes you a while to sometimes realize that, that when you're awake, you do more damage than when you're asleep. And God is good, and God, are they all going on before you arrive? And he'll do fine without you if he ever has to. The other day, I was on the floor of my home playing Lego with Jonah, uh, Mark and Beth's son, playing Lego. And I was on the floor, and he was wanting me to put this thing together and I knew it would take a while, and, and, and I knew I had to get the little drawing, the little plan, and follow it, and put all the little bits on. And as I'm yet again at 55, on my back, on the floor, surrounded by Lego, I thought to myself, I used to do this all the time with my children. But now, I haven't done that for years, since my kids were not that age, and now in my midlife, I'm back on the floor playing with children and children's toys and games again. And part of me, when I first began to do that with my grandchildren years ago, part of me resented that. Part of me was, well, I've got other things to be doing and I need to get, you know, I'll just set them off and then I'll sort of creep away out the room and let, let, let nanny step in or let the other siblings step in because I've got things to be doing, phone calls to make, study to be doing, meetings to be at. You know, I've got to get my head into the game. I can't be in my head into play things. And all of that stuff goes on inside you until you realize, and here's what I've come to in, in, in my life. Many things that happen to you in your life, we, because we fail to understand them, we do not become students of them. We just think, what? What's that? Or we... we we shove it under the carpet of, well, you know, it's just me, or I just need to grow up, or I'm just a bit agitated, or I'm a bit grumpy, or, or, or whatever, or whatever people offer you as a suggestion for their reasoning for that stage of life you are. And so I become a bit more analytical about this on the floor playing at my stage of life. And I realize that, that play, and, and of course with my granddaughters, it's, it's, it's girly play. It's Sylvanian families. And dollies, and, and, and dressing up, and you know, and hair and stuff. Because the girls, I mean, I have four daughters, so I did that, you know, thing all my life with my four daughters. But my granddaughters, um, when as they're growing up, they go through all that sort of girly play stage, and and so you have all that you're reliving again as a man. But play makes you stop. It just does. You either stop. Or you stop physically, but inside you're battling it as a resistance to the threat to your momentum. The, the shift it asks you to give it in thought and focus, it messes with your what's the point of this mindset. As you get older, everything has a point. Everything's going somewhere. Everything has a reason. Everything's important. Everything's on a timer. But when you're playing... It messes with that part of you that's been wired to think, okay, there's a reason for this. There's a deadline to this. I've got to be somewhere. Because you're just laying there on the ground thinking, 
what's the point of this? And a voice comes back saying, there isn't any really. No one's in charge. There's no rules. There's no winners, there's no losers. It's just silly. Sometimes it's just stupid. Sometimes we need an excuse to be silly. So we, 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 we surrender to it and we, we, we fool around and we're silly. And your, your, your wife will say, or someone will say, oh, you've just been silly. You've been really silly. Or granddad's been really silly now. As if it's kind of, um, you know, a criticism or, you know, you'll be over it in a moment. And, and we enjoy the little moment of silliness because we don't remember last time we had one. And we, we, we're hiding behind the grandchildren to just be really stupid for a few minutes. But while you're doing that, while you're in that mode, I'm asking you this morning to not move away from it too soon, to not push it away as the moment it was, but to pay attention to something inside you that God gave you. We don't stop playing because we get old. We grow old because we stop playing. How many remember as a child playing out? What happened to that? My mother would say to me, go play out. And what she meant was, don't come back till it's dark. <laughs> there were no cell phones, no way of being in touch, no supervision. And I'm telling you, as kids, didn't we? We got up to some stuff. I mean, I mean when, when, when Dave said last night, some of you should have been in jail. Even as kids, you know, because we just went and played. We would come back when we were hungry or thirsty, and our parents knew that. But there was no supervision. We just, we were gone all day. We played in dangerous places. We went into woods and railway lines and cliffs and by, uh, uh, and by water. And we just played. I mean, now there'd be health and safety gone berserk over. Our parents would be in jail for for child abuse and child neglect, and we were just playing, having a ball. Made go-karts and made what we call trolleys where I came from. You do, you remember, do you remember rough play? What happened to rough play? We had a game called Bulldogs at school, remember that? <laughs> we, should, we should have a Bulldogs game at Excel. And, and, it was, and, and I mean, it was the best way to, to, under the guise of a game, stick one on somebody <laughs> that you've been wanting to for a while. That's how I did it anyway. And when I was in the bulldog line and saw him coming, I thought, you are, you are so going to get it. Because when he got into my couple in the ribs, you know, and it was aggressive. And, it, and, you, and I grew up with that. I had four brothers. So I grew up with rough play. But, but I wonder where that's gone because... In my studies, in my research, in my reading on this issue, there's a lot going on in us when we play, and there's a lot missing in us when we don't play. Remember that playing as a kid? I kick a few balls around. Where's those balls gone? Let's get those balls up in the air a little bit. Let's, let's, where's all the balls gone? Some of you are like, I'm taking this home. <laughs> bit light, aren't they? But... Ooh. On me, son. Some of you are thinking, where's the goals? 
Now we're just playing, okay? No winners, no losers. Just, just playing. Okay. I want to battle up. Okay. How many would like to play with a real ball? Can we get the real balls down here? That's what you call a ball. That's a real ball. These lads want to touch that orb. Touch the orb. Ooh. Oh! Hey! Then there was one. Put that knife away. Beggars. Try and get it on the fan. Get it on the fan. Keep you guys on your toes now, you Wigan people. Now, if you sat here thinking, you know what, I came for the word of God, can we get on with it? You, why I'm teaching this? You, why I'm teaching this? You driven, goal oriented. I've only got a few hours. I came to hear from God, people. You are why I'm teaching you this. You know, some of you need to realize you're going to hear from God far more when you're not trying to. Than all these years you've spent trying to get a word from God. The world's top neuroscientists have been doing groundbreaking research for over 50 years. This is unknown to us because we're Christians and we don't play. 
into play in, the, in human development. They discovered that animals that play survive better because play becomes a rehearsal in the animal kingdom for many survival skills they will need in adult life. They also discovered, listen to this, all humans have what they call divinely superfluous neurons. These are neural connections in the brain that don't seem to have any immediate function or use until they are fired up by play. Once fired up by play, they form new brain circuitry, allowing the brain to grow and continue to develop. Play develops the mind. Play develops the brain is what they're saying. Research shows many people are suffering from PDD, play deficit disorder. And research has shown, this is 50 years of research I've been looking at, that our mood darkens when we are denied play over long periods of time. The, our, our mood shifts, our persona shifts, and we explain that, we understand that however we do, but the darkening of the mood therefore makes us susceptible to things that if our mood is light through play, perhaps would not be. In his book called Play, How It Shapes the Brain and Opens the Imagination and Invigorates the Soul, that's the title of the book, Stuart Brown says it's impossible to define play. For some, it's adrenaline sports. For others, it's gardening, walking, or whatever. Brown says as we age, we are made to feel guilty about playing because it doesn't make money, it doesn't pay the bills, or appear productive. Play has no apparent survival value. Brown was intrigued by reports that he heard and pictures he was sent. Listen to this now. I'm going to show you some video. This is amazing. 1,200-pound male polar bear up in the north of Canada was filmed running across the ice, two of them, two polar bears, towards Eskimo husky sledge dogs chained up outside these Inuit Indians' homes. It was obvious to them because they can tell that the bear had probably not eaten for four months because the ocean had not yet frozen over enough for the bear to go migratory to find seals and whales to eat. So the bear is trapped on this small piece of land they're on, desperate for food. And bears regularly eat the dogs. So this... These Inuit Indian Eskimos saw these polar bears coming to the dogs chained up and couldn't do anything. Because if the bears are starving and in that mode, they're just going to eat those dogs in no time at all and they couldn't rescue the dogs or they'd be eating themselves. What I'm going to show you now is what actually happened. Instead of the bears eating the dogs, the bears played with the dogs. And the bears came back every day for two weeks around the same time and played for half an hour to an hour with the dogs until the ocean froze over and then the bears could go and hunt for seal. Remember this footage now was filmed by these Indians. These bears are starving, but instead of eating these dogs, for some reason, the innate, God-given playfulness in creation... 
in these bears is what took over instead. And this man that's interested in this study heard about this, fascinated by it, and, and, and got the pictures and eventually the footage. So watch this little, little uh, footage here of these bears. <clears throat> Wow. I'm not, I'm not sure that last dog was sure. <clears throat> I mean, if he had eaten one dog, it wouldn't have been too much, would it, to have asked for a polar bear, just eat one and play with the rest of us. And the others would have pushed the dogs to the front. You know, you can't look at a giraffe. Put my giraffe up here and my odd creatures. Look at these animals. You can't look at a giraffe or a porcupine or a dolphin, or a penguin, and not know that God is playful. Why would you make some of the animals that you see like they are? What kind of mind? God could have made animals all of a certain type, and they'd all look the same, and it would have been a universally understood shape when we saw an animal. But, but when you look at animals and plant life and, and fish and, and various, you know, there are millions and millions of undiscovered species. You see these, you know, nat National Geographic programs on insect life and you think, what in the world is that? It's like an alien life form and someone's discovered it and brought it to our attention <coughs> and it's fascinating and amazing and God must be going, I've got millions of those suckers you haven't found yet. And since the history of mankind, no one's found them. Do you know there are species of animals in caves and underground and in mountain areas and species of plants and flowers that no human being has ever, ever seen? Question, then why in the world did God make it? Answer, for himself. For himself. If you don't see it, it doesn't lessen God's pleasure of it. Now one day someone will stumble over this amazing creature in the deep of the ocean and bring it to our attention. But it has been there since the beginning of time, undiscovered. It doesn't know how amazing it is. And we're in awe as we see it. And you look at these creatures, you think, why would a God that created the world, you think, is this the same God that is in me? Because I don't know that God. Some of you know a God that's so intense and so serious and so always down to the wire and so pressured and so stressy. Some of you know that God, but you don't know the God I'm talking about today. And, and I pray that you'll come to know him sooner than I came to know this playful side of God because my grandchildren have helped me to reconnect with this whole, and I'll carry this to my grave. I'll never let this go. The need to build this. You know, some of your wives will be thrilled if you go home, less intense, <clears throat> less driven, put the phone down, and are playful. If you were playful, as soon as you entered your home, when you got back, she would know this conference was worth you coming every year. She'd be like, go back next year. If you go back <clears throat> quoting the Bible at her, or go intense and burdened, She'd be like, no, you were like that before you went. Don't go again. Go to the women's conference. <laughs> Chill out and party. But if you went lighter, and some of you, listen, some of you in here are carrying some stuff, and I'm not making light of that. Some of you are going through some stuff. And, and therefore, maybe this is the best thing you need to hear. 
Because what you're crying about now, you may be laughing about a month from now. I know you're not a month from now and you wish you were, but I tell you, I've lived long enough to know that never take a photograph of your life because no, no one image of your life sums up your life. If you took a picture of Jesus on the cross, we've got to conclude it's a huge failure. But keep the video running two days later, it's, it's a huge success. And so time's gone. But, you know, let me just play you a little clip from, you know, the film, The Passion of the Christ. It's only a couple of seconds. This, this clip stuck in my mind more than anything else on that movie. Just play this clip. You, you'll remember if you saw it. <laughs> I, ne I never saw Jesus as playful. I never thought of him as that. It's hard to find playfulness with him in scripture. We know he's a man of sorrows and of war. He's only got three years to go public. I know he had a lot on his shoulders. But when I saw that clip, I thought, yeah, why not? Because, because from 12 to 30, we don't know anything about him. And that's the period it's showing you as she reflects as a child with his mother having fun, flicking water on her. And I retained that, that image stuck in my mind more than the stuff that probably should have done because I just never perceived Jesus is like that. And yet the more I walk with him, the more I get to know him, the more I surrender to what my grandkids are teaching me, the more I find this, this side of him. Time's gone. You know, we want you guys to, to live a great life. Not just a great Christian life. Jesus came to give you life. He didn't come to give you church. He came to give, he said, I have come to give you life. There's more to life than church. There's more to you than church. You are not defined by church. You are a person that's far more complicated than often the church understands. And we thank God for every facet of our life that God gives us to grow. If you don't grow your soul, you will be an adult person physically but you will be small inside. And the gap between the small inner person and the large adult frame that you are in with all the adult responsibilities, that gap between the small person inside that's shrunk and not growing and outside all you have to do eventually becomes a real pressure and a tension in your life to, 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 to fill that gap, to navigate your way through that gap. And, and this session today is simply to say, I believe in that, in that gap, in that growing of your soul, the invigoration of your soul, this issue of play has been missing. We've taught a men of honor, a men of courage, a men of integrity. Right. Yes. Right. But you've never heard a message on men of play. And if all those balls flying around the room did was to remind you about this subject, then the balls did their job. All right, time's gone. Love you guys. Thanks for listening. Play, enjoy, grow. Amen. Well, thanks again for listening to today's podcast. I hope you found it beneficial. And uh, I know time is precious commodity for us all, but I would love it if you would take the time to write a review or comment. And above all, maybe subscribe to my podcast channel. Thank you.